Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, one of the greatest ways that we can empower citizens in the United States, and this is a, an incredible country that we live in, we have to remember, is, is in K-12 through education. And there's so much work to be done in that area. You know, I've talked about this before, but the government shouldn't be telling us what to do. Government shouldn't tell us that this is our choice or limit our choices in any way. That's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about breaking barriers so that people can realize their full potential. But what happens when it's not a government barrier that's standing in the way of a child's education, but a union that decides to strike. That's what happened last week to the students of the second largest school district in the United States, the Los Angeles school district. Roughly a half a million students stayed home because the teachers wouldn't cross the picket line of the service workers who were on strike. And this whole situation, I mean, it exemplifies how our current system is built around a system and it's not built for the needs of the students. So how many of those students would not have been affected by the three-day strike at all if they had something called an educational savings account? This would have allowed their parents and these children to decide which educational environment was best for them. And that could have been outside of the Los Angeles public school system if that's what they chose. More and more states are starting to pass educational savings accounts. And on this episode, I'm talking with Jason Huffman, the state director for Americans for Prosperity in West Virginia. And he's going to tell us about the amazing job that they did with the passage of some legislation that they called the Hope Scholarship. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yeah. So first of all, you are... You, you're born and raised in West Virginia, right? How many generations? Uh, six or six or seven, depending six on how you count seven. granddaddies. Yeah, okay. And then in true West Virginia fashion, there's a few coal miners in your family. Is that right? The vast majority. <laughs> the vast majority. How'd you get out of that business? Uh, well, one day the old man looked at me and said, hey, I don't want you to do that. And I said, well, what else am I going to do? He's like, I don't care, but if I catch you in a coal mine, you'll stay there. <laughs> so wait, you went from a... Uh, the uh, kind of dirty business of coal mining to the dirtier business of politics? That's or correct. What? It confuses him <laughs> to this day. He's like, that's not really what I meant, but okay. <laughs> I wanted you to get into something more reputable. <laughs> I understand. Listen, and I understand your mom. So tell me, pizza rolls? Pepperoni. Pepperoni, pepperoni roll. rolls. Pepperoni rolls. Okay, so tell me what's a pepperoni roll. Okay. so I'm going to have to come to West Virginia to have one. You, the, the most quintessential West Virginia delicacy, all right? It's okay. a pepperoni roll. And now, I screwed it up and I called it a pizza roll. The, pepperoni. We have those too, but they're they're different, right? <laughs> okay. So like a, a pepperoni roll, yeah. all right, is is something that folks, uh, particularly in north central West Virginia, okay. um, Irish American immigrants would come and, and they would they would were and they worked in the mines. Um, it was a really easy thing to wrap sure. up in bread and put pepperoni in there okay. and then you carried that into the mines with you. So that is like a West Virginia staple. You gotcha. gotta have one. My mom makes the best. 
Okay. In the entire state. In and the I'll entire fight, state. I'll fight somebody over Okay. That. No, listen. You won't have to fight me. I just got to come to West Virginia and try one of your mom's pepperoni rolls. So I promise I'm going to do that. Okay? An open invite. Open invite. Sounds good. Um, and West Virginia is a beautiful state. For those who have not been to West Virginia, they should come visit West Virginia. It is gorgeous. It is. Yeah, we have uh, – I mean, I think it's – I won't leave there. It's one of the most beautiful places uh, in the entire world. And I've, yeah. I've been several places in the world. been fortunate enough to do that. But yeah. West Virginia is always home. It's kind of a hidden gym to a lot of people. I mean, it's not It's not, It's not. not like Florida. Everybody just goes to vacation in West Virginia, but they should. It's a It's a nice place. Well, we're, we're quickly being, I think, discovered by a lot more folks because of the, yeah. the pro-growth, pro-freedom policies that we've adopted. Uh, a lot of folks that have left the state, I always joke and say, used to be, uh, that the largest population center in West Virginia was actually North Carolina because um, so many folks had <laughs> right. left to find opportunity. But now we're, we're bringing those folks back home. No more, you know, winters and uh, and uh, Christmas is spent away from family. Folks are coming back together, and that's a great thing. Yeah, that, that is a great thing. And you talked about the pro-growth policies that West Virginia is implementing, and you really are, I think, over the last, I don't know, what's it been, 10 years or, or, or 15 years, really a movement towards uh, pro-growth policies, pro-freedom policies, right? Yep. Rapid transformation. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. One of those areas that I want to talk about is K through 12 education and education and the passage of the HOPE scholarship in 2021. Americans for Prosperity really led on that effort. Tell us about that. Well, so that was the uh, the culmination of I want to say six or seven years worth of worth of work. You know, AFP sort of beginning to socialize this idea of, you know, education should operate as a rising tide that lifts all ships. And how do you how do you make that happen? Well, you give parents and students the ability to make sure that their child's unique needs are met. Uh, it's a novel concept, but you know, there's a lot of change resistance when it comes to the education system in America. You know, coming out of the 1800s, folks uh, basically looked at education as a process through which to get factory workers. And we largely have not um, really upped the game or invented new ways, new education pathways to, to get to what we need in terms of a, a 21st century workforce. Um, but also uh, sort of mitigating the dreams and aspirations of a lot of students who feel like that the current education system was not meeting their unique needs. Um, and one of, the, one of the most important parts of that. Uh, is that in no way are we are we saying that public education uh, doesn't work for some kids? Of course it does. Uh, I'm sure you know the vast majority of folks uh, have a great time in their public education system. We're not we're not talking about dissolving that by by any stretch of the imagination. I think instead what we want to do is create an alternative pathway for folks who, um, like in the Hope Scholarship, need some help to be able to have the educational experience that that meets their aptitudes and desires. So what you're saying is. You don't know what's best for every kid out there, and neither does the system, right? And so we want to create a system where, where parents and, and kids can choose what's best for them and for their education, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the idea, of, especially with our organization, Americans for Prosperity, uh, of bottom-up solutions, people that are closest to the problem, knowing how to fix that problem and empowering them to do that, right. that's all – that is the, the heart and soul of the Hope Scholarship Program. Yeah, yeah, what a great way to put it, right? Those bottom-up solutions. And that that's really what happened here. You had certainly some, I, I think, some activists and others who got very involved in in this issue. 
and and sort of a grassroots army that got involved and helped really change the political landscape that made this possible. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the traditional political dichotomy in West Virginia was that of you know you got to remember for a hundred years, and this is not a, this is not a, a partisan take. It's just the fact of the reality. Right. Um, for a hundred years, Democrats ruled the state in West Virginia, and it it bred this sort of Appalachian fatalism where folks felt like. Their lot in life is sealed. There's not anything they can do to change it. And so why worry about what the politicians are saying? And so we have been at work for a great many years, both in the education space, but, but outside of that in our, our other work, uh, to break down that mental model. So folks understand, no, no, no. The government works for you. You employ them. You are their boss as right. people. It's, it's for the people, by the people, representative republic. And, and that's what we are. And, and we're trying to break that barrier down. And one of the great examples of that uh, in, in at least the last couple of years has been the, the Hope Scholarship Act, right? It's something that we began to socialize the idea about. There there were, obviously, West Virginia um, is the butt of a lot of really ugly and crass jokes. But at the end of the day, part of the reason for that is for a long time, we were at the bottom of every socioeconomic statistic that you could, you could envision. Um, but that makes us a perfect sample size uh, for how much freedom can you throw at this and fix it how <laughs> right. quickly. Yeah, and we're trying to prove that out to fruition. And, and you know, folks move to the state of health that. But the, on the education front, um, we socialize this idea that hey, maybe we just put parents in charge, right? Maybe we put them in the a position of empowerment to make sure their kids are getting their unique needs met. How do we best do that? So education savings accounts, um, which is what the Hope Scholarship is. Uh, is the the vehicle that we thought was the best, most optimal pathway uh, to do so because it what it does, broad strokes, you enroll your child in the Hope Scholarship Program. Um, you receive 100% of the statewide net state aid average, which is about $5,000 annual, uh, to pick the education pathway you want your child to be in at. Be that uh, a combination of public-private uh, charter um Individual tutoring, uh, vocational homeschool. courses, homeschool, right. uh, individualized learning pathways as it's defined in the bill. And, and you know, there are myriad ways, but it's not prescriptive. It is mm-hmm. up to folks um, to help their child find that pathway that works best for them. And I think it's going to be a ripple effect, frankly, that that will go across the, the, the country in, in the years to come. I know there were maybe five or six states that were looking at this kind of legislation. Well, and you see with, uh, you know, with COVID, I think, uh, really uh, accelerated the desire of people to, to get involved in their kids' education. You know, they started seeing what was being taught in the school districts or, or what wasn't being taught in some cases. And they just felt, you know, that they needed to step in and make sure that their kids' education was taken care of because that limits the potential of their child. I mean, almost more than anything. And so uh, they've gotten involved, and you're starting to see this, as you said, around uh, around the United States. West Virginia kind of led the way. In that yeah, and, and you know, God love the folks in the, in the public school community because remote learning was never meant to happen at that scale. Right. And uh, they tried their best, and it was just a, a bad circumstance. But I think what happened was a lot of parents' eyes were open to how rigid the education system was, and a lot of them did not like that. And so you begin to see this sort of organic. Um, movement began to grow in the state. Uh, folks didn't really know what the outlet for that necessarily should be, and we had hoped to provide that answer to them. Here is here is the policy that will solve um, for a lot of folks the you know disparate sort of here's the rigid education system my child's in. I feel like a different pathway maybe would work better. How do I get there? Because I don't know if you know this, but West Virginia is uh, not 
in terms of socioeconomic status, our median household income is, is fairly low in comparison to a lot of other states. And so many folks lack the means by which to find another pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the opponent's talking points revolved around, well, you already have school choice if you can afford it, which I think is just a totally unfair and sure. uh, you know, myopic sort of take uh, on, on kids. But in any event, we, we had some fights in, in the political realm, like you mentioned, to, to get to this point, right? Um, like I said, the, the traditional political dichotomy was such that a lot of lawmakers who were not particularly um, principled would hedge based on what organized labor had to say because they didn't want money spent against them in their election. Mm-hmm. Um, 2019, we tried to pass the first ESA bill in the state. Um, and while that was a valiant effort and we did get some reforms done, it, it laid some groundwork, but it also put a target on the back of our, of our champions who had stood up. Uh, lawmakers like uh, State Senator Patricia Rucker, um, various other folks in the House and Senate, and it put a target on their back for for opponents of educational freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what we did was really bring together our activists and all of our capabilities that we have as an organization, uh, being grassroots driven, and make sure that those champions got to return to Charleston to do that good work. And when they did, we passed the nation's first total universal education savings account. So when you talk about opponents of educational freedom, who were the opponents that you had to overcome in this process? Uh, In particular, uh, unfortunately, organized labor, Mm -hmm. Um, but also just the status quo, folks. uh, You've heard this before. Well, we've always done it that way. How could we possibly (laughs) do it different? Um, But, you know, you have that change-resistant part of it, but you also have parents on the other side. Uh, And I can think of a great example, um, Ashley Switzer. Mm-hmm. I believe. I think I'm remembering her name right. Okay. Um, in any event, you know, we had tons of different activists, various folks, you know, be it uh, I've got a child who, who has um, special needs. They're not being met. Uh, I feel trapped. Um, I want to find a different pathway. Um, be it the, you know, the person who says, you know, maybe my kid doesn't want to go to college. He, he seems like he wants to be in the trades. Maybe we put him on a pathway or she on a pathway to be a welder by the time they turn 18 and ready to hit the workforce and, and provide that sort of mutual benefits to society that we hope to instill in, in kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what the Hope Scholarship unlocks for those folks is, is a pathway to get there. Right. So you, as, as Americans for Prosperity, as the state director there, because there's probably, you know, our listeners are, are listening to this and they're thinking, gosh, um, he's the state director. I mean, I see what he can do to, to get involved into changes, but what can I do? I mean, you couldn't do this by yourself as just the state director. You had to have an army of people who would come out and, and fight uh, for, for this right, right, and fight to pass this legislation, and even before that, to fight to get policy champions elected there. So talk about, talk about that. What can an, a, a, a parent who's stuck in this situation or you know, their kid is stuck in this situation, what can they do? You know, Jeff, I'll, I'll, I'll run through. Here's, here's my spiel on this, all right? You, you get a, let's say even a congressional office, all right? Five people in that district call that congressional office about an issue. They immediately begin casework on it, all right? right? Now extrapolate that down to the state legislative level, all right? You get two or three people that call an office. In, in West Virginia, our lawmakers don't have a lot of staff. They answer their own, fo- their own phone. And so you're talking to the member. You're like, hey, Jim. <laughs> Right. guy that lives down the street from me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've got a problem. It moves the needle in a great way. And I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to that just don't know or don't feel like they have 
um, a platform that they can be a part of to engage their lawmakers in that way. And so what, what we do as an organization that I think is the, the true secret sauce of, of Americans for Prosperity is be that platform for people, um, whether it comes from holding lawmakers accountable um, or, or even better yet, the best part about holding lawmakers accountable is celebrating the victories with them mm-hmm. um, when, we, when we do get good policy passed. And so I think that is, um, that is how you drive transformation. Yeah. Well, you talk about holding lawmakers accountable. So you said, uh, was it was it 2019 when you first tried to pass this uh, this law, right? So you had it didn't pass, right? So what did you do to hold folks accountable? Well, I mean, it was it was a full court press, right? You know, we do a scorecard every year that lets folks know how their lawmakers stood on issues because I, right. I always had a sneaking suspicion um, <laughs> in, in my tenure as, as you know working in politics. Yeah, uh, despite you know that no, <laughs> but um, in any event, so I always thought it was the case that maybe maybe lawmakers thought eh, nobody's going to know how I voted when I go back home, mm-hmm. and it actually not that long ago, I'd say within the last twenty years, roll call votes were not even recorded in West Virginia. Really? Seriously. Wow. Uh, it was the work of uh, Delegate John Overington, um, one, of, one of the true stalwarts of, of you know, transparency and, and principle <laughs> sure. in that regard. Yeah. Actually got that done when Republicans okay. were in the minority. Okay. Um, but in the spirit of that, what we do is we basically say, okay, we're going to make sure folks know how their lawmakers voted. Uh, we have all kinds of events across the state to, to walk folks through what we think the the biggest uh, priorities were that session, where their lawmaker was at, and it's that level of transparency. You know, if a lawmaker is hot under the collar because folks know in their district how they voted on an issue and they're concerned about it, probably the case that they voted the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but that is, that's not our problem. That's their problem. <laughs> that's their and problem. It's, it's the job of citizens to step up and, and make sure that lawmakers are held to account. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got, you, you found policy champions to, that, that ran against them, right? Yep. Yep. We, uh, we actually had, uh, so the architect of the education savings account, the Hope Scholarship, Yeah. Um, state Senator Patricia Rucker was in the most competitive um, state Senate race in the state. And yet she had the courage to, to, to take this on, right? She it would have been easier just to hide in the weeds on it. Never, never backed down, never blinked. Wow. Um, and she's, she's a stalwart um, education freedom champion. Uh, she was a public school teacher. Um, she's, you know, very much of the mindset, you know, this is this is not uh, something that should be looked at as an attack on education, but rather uh, supplementary to, you know, all the data and statistics that we have about educational pathways and, and availing folks to uh, find the right pathway for their child, be that public school test scores, parental satisfaction, um, you name it, it, it generally makes everything better. It's a rising tide that lifts all ships. Right. And she got that, and she never backed down from that vision of passing something that was bold and transformational. And, you know, she doesn't win that race. Guess what? That bill never passes, and, you know, the the three or 4,000 kids that are now enrolled in the program are without that option um, and, and may be perhaps stuck in a situation where they're not going to reach their, their greatest potential level. Um, so that, I mean, it's when you go out and make sure that a policy champion is able to return to the Capitol to do that good work, what, what you're doing is, is bringing to fruition the vision that that person has, uh, not based on the person, but the principles. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the crucial part. 
So then in 2021, you you felt like you had the pieces in place, the policy champions in place. I'm sure it wasn't just that simple that, oh, gee, we have the votes. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of work that went into this, uh, the passage of, of this legislation, right? Absolutely. You know, folks uh, under the dome every day talking to their lawmakers, making sure that, um, you know, lawmakers are emboldened because uh, these things are not easy. The best pieces of policy that we will accomplish uh, as an organization, as people, happen the hard way. Um, and lawmakers have to be emboldened. They're just like anybody else. You know, you want to hear a pat on the back, hey, you're doing a good job. And so yeah. when you facilitate that kind of interaction between the public and your grassroots leaders and lawmakers, you get this sort of trifecta effect where everybody gets this warm, fuzzy feeling that, hey, this is a big deal. We are doing the right thing, um, despite the opposition, which there was very heavy opposition. You know, uh, I think that there were a couple of uh, different political engagements that happened in the years before we passed the Hope Scholarship. Um, you know, I think one of the candidates that we endorsed won by 25 votes. So you tell me as a person, your vote doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll tell you right. about that race and a couple other ones. <laughs> but um, in any event, all of those, all of those pieces coming together to really put policymakers in a place to do the right thing. Because a lot of them, their heart's in the right place. You know, we have a citizen legislature in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So these folks are, uh, you know, I know one guy drives a school bus, another guy, uh, you know, works at a bank, another guy is, you know, selling insurance. This is not their day job. They're right. not career politicians. Right. They are people that want to do the right thing, and, and they need to hear from constituents in their district Um they need to hear those signals about what good policy is, what people want to see, and that, that's where we as, as an organization and as activists and, and people can really drive that transformation. Yeah, and that, that probably helped you uh, in the passage of this that you had a citizen legislature, right, who, who, who sees this. I mean lots of other states have legislatures, full-time legislatures. The legislators themselves make a, good, make a very good living at it. Those are the kind of people that aren't really affected by educational uh, freedom, right? Because they have the freedom. They can buy the freedom. And uh, so often the people that control the levers of power, uh, you know, they don't see it. They're in their bubble. They don't see that there are people who don't have that kind of educational freedom. But it seems like in West Virginia, you, you, you had that in the legislature that you have everyday people, average people, right, who, who are called to serve in the legislature, and they they seem to have seen that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. It's uh, and it's kind of uh, when you when you have one of those moments where something truly transformational was accomplished at the legislative level, um, it it's like a light bulb moment that lawmakers have after that, where right. they go, "Oh man, that was a big deal." It's like, <laughs> yeah, we we told you that, but the, you know, until they get out and talk to some of their peers, you know, start getting invited to a conference to say, "Hey, how'd you guys pull that off?" Right. Because this is a big deal, and we want to do the same thing. They have that light bulb moment where they go, "Oh, we can be leaders on right. a national scale." Right. Um, and I think that is a, a powerful incentive for folks who, again, in the spirit of public service, they they just want to do the best thing that they can for their state and make, you know, in our example, the state a better place to live, work, and raise a family. But uh, they could be inspirations to other states, and that's how you create, I think, a, a movement for a policy like you're seeing with educational freedom right now. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the fight's not over. The fight didn't end in 2021. As soon as this became law, it got, it got challenged. And you've, been, you've still been fighting this battle. Uh, just had a victory in court, sounds like. 
Tell us about that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, anytime you work on a, an education bill, you assume that a lawsuit's going to happen. Um, <laughs> sure. It happens almost every time. Right. Uh, like clockwork, um, these lawsuits are meant to uh, disenfranchise the kids that that bill is meant to help. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. Actually, the the folks that filed the lawsuit against the Hope Scholarship waited until the enrollment period was over as a tra- strategic way um, to keep kids from having educational freedom. It's dastardly. That's, that's very dastardly. Um, you know, out-of-state trialers came in and basically said, no, we don't think your kids should have this. And so we spent a considerable amount of time and effort um, working through the process of combating that legal challenge. And uh, eventually at Supreme Court level one, uh, four to one decision. And so pretty decidedly, uh, the, the framework of the Hope Scholarship is upheld as we knew it would be. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to go through the, the legal process. Yeah. And of course, overturning what the representatives of the people decided, right? If, if that court case would have gone the other way, it would have overturned the will of the voters and the will of the, the, the legislature yep. in that regard. Um, well, and, and so that's great. So now you're moving, now you're finally moving forward with with uh, the Hope Scholarship, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I believe that uh, the the initial payments to accounts for the kids who have enrolled will uh, will hit next week. And, and one of the things I'm most excited about is um, so the the Hope Scholarship isn't available to all kids immediately. It's it's available to basically like ninety percent uh-huh. of all kids because you you have to be in public school in order to have the funds generated because it's based on the school funding formula. Mm-hmm. Um, what is baked into the Hope Scholarship is a trigger. That uh, in 2024, if under 5% of that eligible population is is, in, is not enrolled, so we're under 5% enrollment of eligible folks, it automatically expands to kids that are currently outside of public schools, so homeschool, private school, et cetera. Um, and so we are on track to innately just have a 100% open, you know, universal enrollment into the Hope Scholarship, and that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I, and, and that's what we want, right, is a system where, you know, it, it's just unfettered choice, yep. right? Um, well, well, that's amazing. What kind of kids are, are, are going to be helped under this? I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, it's, uh, th- there's kids that can get out of this if their parents have enough money to send them to a private school right now. That's the system in most states that we live in is if the parents have the wealth – they can go take their kids. But, but that's not who we're talking about helping. And the opposition to this doesn't point out that the, the kids that are going to be helped by this are the, the most disadvantaged. Well, and, and that's true. But I, I also would challenge um, both our activists and, and lawmakers to consider it this way. Um, we should not be prescriptive with regards to whom we are helping. Mm-hmm. If an education pathway is opened up that, that is viable for everyone – let me tell you, it's going to poll a whole lot better. <laughs> you know, sure. I always joke with the lawmakers, sure. like, you guys are already not popular, okay? Like, people <laughs> people just don't like it because you're a politician. Right. Don't make something so restrictive and narrow that you're going to preclude some people who would benefit from this because of some, you know, arbitrary dollar amount. You know, right. Somebody tried to put a means test in, in the bill. And we killed all the amendments because there was just so much momentum from the grassroots behind that legislation. But I guess the, the parable I'm trying to get at is, the more restrictive a program is, parents are going to assume, hey, that's not for my kid. I'm not going to get that. And so the, the more wide open you can make enrollment with the ideal being universal, the better off you are because you're building a constituency around that, frankly. Right. 
All right. Well, listen, we're almost out of time, but I, I want to hear, just tell me quickly, what are some of the other great things you're, you're getting ready to do in West Virginia? Now that, now that you're, you're moving with this Hope Scholarship, I'm sure that you're not done in education and you're not done in helping revolutionize West Virginia. So tell me some of the things you're working on. Well, so, I mean, you know, uh, growing an economy doesn't happen in a vacuum. And right. I think that we have had through our Pathway to Prosperity agenda uh, that began in 2016, um, we have enacted myriad policies that, that are really transformational for West Virginia, breaking down barriers to folks being able to thrive there. Um, and I think, you know, the next logical course for that, you know, we've got to cut taxes in the state. We have a $1.3 billion surplus. Um, that money is not belong to government. That is the people's money. And we're over-collecting, and we need to give some of it back so they can invest in their lives and livelihoods. Man, sounds like a lot of work, uh, and I'm glad that you're the man that, that we've got doing all that great work and uh, leading the troops in in West Virginia. These HOPE scholarships in West Virginia, they're, they're giving educational opportunity to the parents and the children of the state. And if you live in West Virginia, you have Jason Huffman and Americans for Prosperity to thank for the great work there and all the activists who got involved as well. And if you don't live in West Virginia and you want to do this very same thing in your state, there's hope there too because you can contact Americans for Prosperity. You can also send me an email. You can send me an email at jeff at AmericanPotential.com. We'll make sure that you get hooked up with the Americans for Prosperity chapter in your region or your state and we'll get you all hooked up. Jason, thanks for thanks for joining us. You're doing great work in West Virginia, and I hope that someday I'll come and have one of those pepperoni rolls. Well, thanks for, so much for having me, and we'll, we'll definitely make that happen. Open keep, invite. Keep it warm for me. Tell your mother I'm coming. Okay. okay? All right. Sounds great. We'll be back with another edition of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.